What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? What is going on? What is the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, staying active, staying positive, but most of all, staying healthy as we continue to deal and fight through this coronavirus pandemic. We're here to deliver a special midweek podcast, episode number 120. Here, yours truly on the J Reels podcast, as we'll go through a couple of news and notes that had happened over the last two days. If you haven't listened to episode 119, I implore you to do so on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, or you can go to jreels.com as well. Well, my guest today is a gentleman that lives in Minnesota, in which I like to call one of those regions the tortured fan base, where the Minnesota Vikings, the Timberwolves, the Wild, and also the Twins, who have not seen a championship in 29 years, you have to go back to the 1991 Minnesota Twins, and of course, my apologies to the Minnesota Lynx of the WNBA, but we'll chronicle and detail that with my guy, Headstyle. That's right, just one word, as we'll go over the frustration, the disappointment, the anger, but the passion of a guy who's lived in that region his whole life, lifelong Minnesotan, and we'll get his take on everything regarding what it's like to be part of that tortured fan base. But first, I have a couple of news and notes that have happened over the last two days, Starting off with the health of Noah Syndergaard. Everybody knows I'm a huge Met fan. And when that news came down, obviously all the air was let out of the balloon. Or as I'd like to just put it bluntly, was a swift kick in the nuts. Here's a guy that certainly has worked his way back in the offseason. If you saw some of the exhibition games or even during spring training, he's out there with no shirt on. Had his crazy workouts if you've watched him on Instagram. And here he is now, just 24 hours later having to deal with the ulnar collateral ligament in his right elbow, which will doom him for not only this year, but for the beginning of next year with the dreaded Tommy John surgery. And it's a severe blow to a team that whenever baseball gets back on the beam is a guy that they're certainly going to miss in their rotation. We all know about Jacob deGrom. And although the rest of the rotation is stout from a standpoint of Marcus Stroman, Steven Matz, Michael Waka, and Rick Porcello, Having a guy like Syndergaard to be the Robin to Jacob DeGrom's Batman is certainly a guy that you can't replace. And we only hope and pray as Met fans that once baseball does resume and when a National League that looks like it's pretty wide open, it's we understand it's the Dodgers and pretty much everyone else. But you were only hoping that with all the what-ifs regarding this team, the biggest one that you didn't have to worry about was their rotation. And even though the rest of the rotation is very good, But having those top two at the front of the rotation was certainly one that uh, you'd want to have throughout the course of, which would have been 30 starts, but whenever baseball does get back, 20 starts, 25 starts, whatever it may be. And now you're not going to have that. And it only just casts another giant cloud over City Field, over Flushing, the fan base, etc. And not to say that we're cursed, but it almost feels like the hex continues. And what could you say? My thing is, how did this happen? Or I should say, pretty much, when did this happen? Because throughout exhibition, throughout some of the spring training starts, which he has shown some promise and did pitch pretty well. Now, certainly wasn't focused in on every one of his starts, but you wonder if over the last 10 days or so, working out on the side... I don't think it was from any workouts as far as weights or anything like that, but you would think that he was probably pitching on the side and felt something, and then next thing you know, he's getting 
analyzed and certainly getting looked at to the point where they found something and then had to drop the bombshell of the news to him and, of course, to the rest of the fan base in Major League Baseball that he will not be participating in any type of baseball activities and I would say till July of next year. And then that also raises the question of him going into a walk year. When he does come back, is he going to resign after that? Is he going to be healthy enough that he'll be a semblance of his former self? Now, mind you, his career has been inconsistent. You know, 2015, he burst on the scene. He had that big rookie year. 2016, he did pitch well when Jacob DeGrom was hurt. And then obviously pitched that one-game wild card against Madison Bumgarner where he pitched well. Actually had a no-hitter, I believe, into the sixth inning. And then from that point on, it's just been health issues with Noah to the point of 2017 was pretty much shot. 2018, he was on the IL for a little bit. Although his record was, I believe, 12-3, and three, had a 3 ERA, but certainly wasn't the dominant guy that we had seen from 2015-16. And then last year, he pitched to a 4 ERA, was inconsistent, did not pitch well for him. And then he reshaped his body, pretty much looked like the Thor that you see in the Marvel movies. And then now, pretty much all that hard work from the offseason and the start of this spring training goes right out the window because we will not see him, like I said, I would think, till the All-Star break of next year. And we understand those are questions for next year as far as his long-term future being a Met and hoping that he'll stick around. And maybe he will stick around. I mean, unless he pitches lights out when he gets back, but at the same time, I mean, we can't even expect that because we don't know when he's coming back. So all it is is speculation right now. So until he toes the rubber in a major league game for the first time since this injury, then we could kind of take a look at the land as to what could we forecast him being a Met long-term. So that was the first thing. And when I heard about it, it was just devastating because we all know the Mets, they just can't seem to get out of their own way when it comes to injuries and things that are like so. That's number one. Number two, I was shocked to hear all this breaking news and these reports about Cam Newton being released from the Panthers. Did people miss the signing of Teddy Bridgewater last week, three years, $60 million? And then on top of that, the Panthers, they signed the quarterback, I believe, from the Houston team in the XFL who was coached by Matt Rule, who's now the coach of the Panthers. So they bring him on to be the backup. They trade Kyle Allen to the Redskins, who he's reunited with Ron Rivera. So they had their quarterbacks in tow, and when I looked at the ESPN site and I see breaking news, I'm thinking, oh, geez, Cam Newton gets released from the Panthers. How is that breaking news? All right, I understand it's a slow sports time. There's nothing to chew on. There's nothing to even, you're trying to get crumbs from any source, any direction possible. I get that. But how is this breaking news or how is this shocking news by any stretch of imagination is beyond me. I looked at that and I was almost like, oh, God, guys, you've been under the rock the last uh, 10 days? So, yeah, I just found that disturbing. Well, to me, disturbing is a strong word, but I just found that, oh, please. I mean, that was neither here nor there. So, I just had to throw in my two cents about how they just overblown this whole thing as far as such a uh, groundbreaking and just shocking news coming out of the NFL that Cam Newton's moving on. And obviously, people are going to wonder where his next stop's going to be. A lot of people are going to either target New England or L.A. as far as the Chargers are concerned. You would think he may land in one of those two spots. I'm sure Cam's probably going to sign a one-year deal. You would think there'll be a lot of incentives involved. It'll be interesting to see if he does hook up with Belichick in New England and Foxborough. But you could also see him going to L.A. to try to 
get any type of people into that new building, the SoFi Stadium, which is going to be shared with the Rams and the Chargers. So you figure one of those two destinations will be, and then the same for Jameis Winston for that matter. Because when you look at the NFL landscape, all your quarterbacks are pretty much in tow. And I understand people could say, well, wait, why can one of these guys be a backup in Cincinnati? But we all know Joe Burrow's going to get drafted there. Or in Miami, you figure Tua will probably end up there at some point. And Justin Herbert, you know, is going to go to another team that's going to need a quarterback. And they're certainly not going to look to a Cam Newton or Jameis Winston to sign them to be the stopgap or even, let's say, a two or three year answer for their organization. So that's going to be the next step as to see where the former NFL MVP and Super Bowl 50 representative will end. And then lastly, the IOC, which if you listen to the podcast on Monday, episode 119, My Hero and Zero of the Week, I targeted the IOC big time because they were half-stepping on making a decision on whether to postpone the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, and I just destroyed them. So if you want to go back and listen to that, I'm sure you have a chuckle or two over it. But just two hours after I finished recording and here I am editing and ready to post it on the site and obviously on all the podcast platforms, the word came down that a decision was going to be made or rumors that a decision was going to be made on the postponement of the Olympics to 2021. So my zero of the week probably lasted but two hours. So if you go back, it's going to sound a little bit dated, but You'll get my drift because, as we all know, the IOC are a bunch of crooks and certainly think that they're holier than thou. But we don't have to worry about that. That's going to be pushed to 2021. And as it is right now from some of the reports I read this morning, Japan looks like they're going to take a $5.7 billion hit when it comes to this postponement. You figure that all these venues that are being built, and I'm sure all the hotel rooms, all the players, the participants, the athletes, etc., that were going to participate this year and all the money that would generate is going to have to be put on hold for a year. So they're already talking about the loss that they're going to take. And we all know, not to get into the history of it, but the IOC and just look at the 76 Olympics in Montreal. If you Google that and you see what a hit that that city took from hosting an Olympics, you could see why Japan right now, I'm sure they are certainly stomping their feet. And you can't avoid it. I mean, this is a pandemic, as we all know, that we we don't know when it's going to end, when it's going to even slow down for that matter. So they have to look out for their best interest. And even though it took them long enough to to get to this, considering all the other leagues were able to put a halt or suspend their seasons, the IOC certainly had to do this in the best interest of everyone that's involved. So uh, I'm not going to call them my hero of the week by any stretch, but uh, the zero, although if you go back and listen to the uh, podcast there just a couple days ago, certainly is going to sound a little bit outdated. All right, people, so uh, let's get into it. My conversation with my guy Headstyle from Minnesota to discuss the tortured fan base and everything that's gone on there over the last three decades. And of course, we'll see you on the other side of that. So sit back, enjoy my conversation with Headstyle. On the line, I have my man Headstyles out in Minnesota here to discuss his journey as being a Minnesota sports fan because as we all know throughout sports there are certain regions or certain areas that have the tortured fan base and I thought that this would be a great spot to have my man Headstyles on and Headstyles we're going to go to the very beginning as far as uh, your first sports moment is concerned so uh, take us back to whatever it was whether it was the Vikings the Twins uh, obviously not the T-Wolves uh, and maybe even the North Stars for that matter. But uh, take us back to when you were a boy and your first 
inkling of uh, grasping sports. I, I think, and thanks for having me on. Uh, oh, you're welcome. You know, I think uh, I would have to say 1987 was a big year, and probably the one I remember most as a kid, mainly because that was actually when we had our first real, or I had my first real uh, success, which was the 87 Minnesota Minnesota Twins. And uh, we weren't tortured then, like, we were a Cinderella team, and, and they actually pulled it off, and they won the whole thing. And, like, I remember it vividly. I remember exactly what I did. I ran out in the street and celebrated. Like, people started driving up and down. The, like, I lived in a suburban area just outside of Minneapolis at the time, and people went crazy, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And then, then reality hit, um, and you got to know a little bit more about what it was like to really truly be a Minnesota sports fan later that year. I'd say with like, for example, the 87 Vikings. Right. Um, so I was raised a Vikings fan. I guess I was raised a Twins fan. You know, we were, I was raised, born and raised here. So like, that's what you did. You pulled for the local teams. Um, well, that's what, at least what my dad had me do. So. <laughs> right. Um, so the 87 team was a good team. They made it all the way to the NFC championship game, mm-hmm. which uh, that's they, – they beat the crap out of Steve Young, I want to say, in the di- divisional round. But in the championship game, Darren Nelson dropped the ball on the one-yard line. That was it. And the game was over. And, and that's when, that's when I realized, like, okay, this is what defeat feels like. Like, because the Vikings hadn't really been, I mean, they, they hadn't won a Super Bowl. They hadn't been to a Super Bowl since January 9th of 77. And I was born in February of that year. So mm. since I've been born, they haven't won an NFC championship. And I'm 43 years old now. It's <laughs> kind of sad. And it's funny you say that, too, because obviously Minnesota being such a – I would think it's more of a football town than anything else. It is. Right. It and is. Minneapolis, absolutely. And with all the success that they had in the 70s, of course, all the Super Bowls that they went to, and then having that – pretty much that uh, – I don't want to say layoff, but they were uh, idle, not making it to a championship game, let alone a Super Bowl. And then here it is, just a few months after the Twins, the Vikings are on the doorstep, and Darren Nelson – would be the one that uh, would be the catalyst to all the, I don't want to say all the other postseason foibles for the uh, Vikings. But, uh, boy, at that time, you're probably thinking, ah, we'll get back here, if not next year, the year after that. And uh, we'll certainly go down that uh, road in a minute as far as the Vikings are concerned. But uh, I'm sure, nevertheless, as a young boy growing up in Minnesota, uh, I'm sure you probably thought that, uh, hey, we'll get them next year. Sure. I mean, that's – it becomes kind of the mantra over the years is like, okay, there's always next year. This is, this is a good team. Need a couple of pieces. We'll come back stronger next year. It'll be all right. You know, and it becomes a a real broken record. And, um, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. Like, I, I, I don't know if I told you this story. I was, I was in, uh, big sky, Montana recently, actually Mm. a couple of years ago, I flew in there and I ran into a, a guy that was clearly a Boston fan, right? 
Red Sox, Patriots, etc. You know, Celtics. And I went up to him. I'm like, hey, man, I got to know. And I, I don't even know the guy. I'm like, how's it going? And he's like, pretty good. What do you want? You know, I'm like, I just, I'm just curious what it's like. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what's it like to, like, live in a town where all your teams do from a rotational standpoint is win? And he yeah. just started laughing. I'm like, I'm serious. He's like, where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. He's like, oh. I'm like, yeah, I got to know. Like, I, I want to know what that feels like. So, um, he got a good chuckle out of it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been it's been torture. Uh, but at some point down the road here, and we'll probably get to that, is when I kind of, a light bulb went off, and I'd probably approach it a little bit differently now. Oh, yeah. Now, it's interesting because I, I want to save the Vikings for last because when I think of the quote-unquote tortured fan base, you know, you could look at Cleveland, although they won the championship 2016, which was a long time coming for that city, but obviously the, with the Browns and the Indians, they hadn't, you know, Indians hadn't won since 48, and the Browns hadn't won since 1964, I believe. Sure. And, but with the Vikings, of course, being the bulk of the tortured fan base, just to kind of take us through with the other sports. Now, the Twins in that 87 year, uh, of course, they beat the Cardinals in seven games, and that was the Tom Brunanski, Kent Herbeck, uh, those twin teams, of course, Kirby Puckett, he was on both of those teams. And then just four years later, they had that classic series against the Braves, another seven-game series, all the home teams you know, winning every game. But I believe five of the seven games went into extra innings. The famous yeah. uh, Jack Buck, uh, we'll see you tomorrow night after the uh, Puckett home run in game six. And uh, I can only... Greatest World Series of all time. Yeah, no, it's up there. <clears throat> Absolutely. Jack Morris, game seven against John Smoltz, the one nothing. Uh, I tell you, and who would have thought that even then? he Two World Series in a matter of uh, four years. And just like I mentioned about Darren Nelson and thinking, oh, we're going to go back you know, plenty of other years. And this is baseball in a different world, early 90s. It's not the way it is in this day and age with the big market teams spending like drunken sailors. And it's a whole different world. So I'm sure you're probably thinking that, hey, this is great. If we win a World Series every four years, I mean, I'll be in my glory. And uh, to think that that was the last one that you've had and it's uh, going on 29 years. I know it's it's crazy. Time flies. It does. It does. But it's, I guess it doesn't make it any less painful. I mean, there's always, you know, there's teams out there that they get close and then they, they reset and come back and get close. But it seems like in Minnesota sports history, there's always some moment of just like, what were we doing? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, it's a great 30 for 30 special now. Um, the Herschel Walker trade. Oh, yeah. You know, that was, gosh, what's that? That was 1989. Yep. And what was so weird about that trade was the Vikings ran a spread offense, right? Mm. So not that I really knew what that was when I was 12, but of course I've gone back and taken a look at a closer look. Like, as, as fans at the time, we were all excited as a fan base. Yeah. It was great. We went and got this stud running back from the Cowboys. We had to trade a few nice players to get him. And the first game, you know, he you know, he, he blew the roof off the dome. It was great. Like, they looked really good. But he was, a, he was an I-form kind of a running back that came in to, 
to try to run with a, an offensive line that was set up to run spread, and it, it didn't work. It was bad. Um, and it was just, it kind of set the team back so many years because we lost all those draft picks. Yeah. That, that um, Jimmy uh, was a brilliant coach, and I think he was GM or president of the, doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, they pretty much built the Cowboys in the 90s. You're welcome. <laughs> no, and you know it's interesting because right after that, or two years after the uh, NFC Championship game, that trade was made, and that was pretty much the downfall. I don't want to say the downfall is too strong, but that's where the wheels started to come off as far as the Vikings are concerned because they weren't able – they made it to the postseasons, of course, years after that, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, 92, they made it. I think they lost to the Redskins – in uh, an opening round, and then after that, they lost to the Bears, I believe, and oh, the Giants in '93. I remember that the wild card game, and in '94. So there were some times where, although the Vikings made it to the postseason, but they certainly didn't make any deep runs until later on in the decade. Yeah, we we were the Vikings have always, generally speaking, been a playoff team. You know, they've had some down years, but they've just never been able to get any traction, or they've never had any breaks. I mean, I can ask my dad about the the Hail Mary game. Oh, Amar Rashad? Yeah, 1980. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My dad still, uh, my dad won't let that go. Uh, and I, it's hard to blame him. So. And you know what's interesting? It's too bad that you don't have memories of the old Metropolitan Stadium. And I'm sure your dad has very, maybe not fond memories. Oh, maybe that game in particular with the Ahmad Rashad uh, game. And that was against Cleveland. But uh, I love those old stadiums, and obviously being outdoors and as cold as it was, I'm sure, boy, once you got into late October, maybe even, uh, I would say, early November, when the temperature starts to drop and being in that big, cavernous outdoor stadium, boy, I'm sure that must have been, it must have been super tough. I mean, yeah, I I don't, I'm sure it was, but like, it was, it's a prideful thing. We're, we're, We're raised to be hardy people, like if it's... 10 below, we almost take some pride in it. Yeah. It, it's, it's cold out. Who cares? Put on some more clothes. It's, you know, it's way better than it being way too hot in the summer. It's, it's beautiful up here in the summer, you mm-hmm. know, and it's because you can feel your fingers and toes. It goes a long way, so. Right. And not to get too far ahead, because uh, I remember that playoff game a few years ago when the uh, U.S. Bank was being erected and you had the playoff game with Seattle and uh, Blair Walsh and Bud Grant at 88 years old going out there to uh, midfield to flip the coin. What was it? I believe six below was the temperature. And, uh, yeah, I t- it was in a polo shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You no, know, that's, that's, that, that's, that's it right there in a nutshell as far as uh, what it's like to play in that climate. And uh, you guys got to get a little taste of that. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, who was your team? I mean, I'm sure maybe the Vikings were tried and true, your team growing up. Or uh, maybe was it the Twins? Was there a guy that you... Whether it's through your father, Kirby Pat- Puckett. oh Puckett, oh okay, the twins. Like, you know, when Kirby passed away, mm. the whole town. Like, I don't want to compare it to Kobe of this year, right? But like, that's kind of just from a Minneapolis and St. Paul standpoint. Like, Kirby was the twins, and when Kirby passed away, like, it was hard on everybody. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, that's who you wanted to be growing up was Kirby Puckett. Right. I mean, Ken Herbeck was cool. Like, yeah, sure, he may have lifted the guy's leg off at first, but <laughs> generally you wanted to be Kirby. So the Minnesota Twins for sure. 
Okay, so that was your team. That was uh, so baseball was your I first mean, love. If you're asking me, if you're asking me what what my heart was on the line for of all my years, it would it would have to be the Vikings. Hmm. All right, so that's it. So that was your uh, team growing up. Although your guy was Kirby Puckett, so no. Rightfully so, and that's the thing. When you have that one guy that you latch on to, and, I mean, at least it helps for Puckett because he was a guy that, of course, won two World Series, where generally if you have the one guy that was on the Vikings, and I know a guy, let's say, like Alan Page, who was, you know, obviously before our time, a little bit before our time, and I guess with this stretch here, let's say over the last 20 years, maybe the one guy that we could probably look at would be someone like Chris Carter, who was obviously perennial Pro Bowler, All Pro, obviously Hall of Famer, and a guy that uh, certainly I'm sure was endearing to you know your neck of the woods, and uh, obviously never came up with the uh, brass ring when it was all said and done. Yeah, we love Chris Carter. Um, it's unfortunate. Like now you're getting into the '98 kind of era. Right. '98 was great, except for the end. Um, like we had Chris Carter. Randy Moss was a rookie that nobody really knew about, but they knew about him by the end of the year. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jake Reed, who was kind of the forgotten third wideout, he mm-hmm. was fantastic. He was a pro bowler before Randy got here. And they were just loaded. And uh, we all know what happened. We, You know, Brad Johnson got hurt, and then, you know, Randall Cunningham came in, just started throwing up balls. And, yeah, what a year 98 was. But Chris Carter, yeah, absolutely one of the greatest Vikings to ever play in my history. Um, yeah. Yeah. And no, listen, we'll talk definitely more Vikings. Uh, of course, they are, uh, to me, the creme de la creme because when we're looking at all the other teams, I mean, of course, with the Twins, we'll, we'll get to a little bit uh, later, but uh, even go back, I know we talked offline about the North Stars and, of course, that's such a big hockey area. I, more so, I know, for University of Minnesota and I'm sure a few other schools that are uh, in that region. But the North Stars, they weren't really on your radar as a boy. And uh, surprisingly, considering that it's such a, I don't want to say a hockey hotbed, but at the same time, a ton of people do play hockey and you had a lot of great players come from University of Minnesota. So surprising to think that even though it's a football region for sure, but uh, hockey certainly wasn't uh, up there as far as the uh, top teams that you would follow and watch when you were a boy. Is that right? For sure. Um, and that's probably one of my biggest regrets mm. is I wasn't, I didn't get raised in a hockey family. My dad didn't play hockey. None of his brothers did. So like what I was raised in was basketball and baseball and we watched football, you know, but hockey, I couldn't skate a lick. I didn't really get into it until years later, but I do remember watching the 91 Stanley cup final. Right. Um, where we ran into a guy named Super Mario yeah, and pretty much destroyed our chances of a cup. Yeah, and I believe yeah, that... that's the state of hockey. The state high school hockey tournament just ended not, you know, about a month or so ago, and that was... That was it's, it's fantastic every year, but it's, it's huge up here. Uh, and there's people that are still really pissed. So <laughs> they brought in the Wild... But they called, you know, obviously they called the wild. Well, that half the fan base, if you ask them today, tomorrow, okay, we'll, we'll switch. If you could switch the team from Minnesota Wild to the North Stars, would you do it? And would you burn all your jerseys and rebuy all the North Stars? Yeah, they absolutely would. People are still pissed that they're not called the Minnesota North Stars. 
And they should be. It's a disgrace. I know when they moved to Dallas, when was that? I guess 90, in the mid-90s somewhere. And, of course, they named the Dallas Stars. All right, fine. They couldn't uh, come up with a name for their uh, team down there. But I got news for you. Just like, on a much lesser scale, because when you look at the Charlotte Hornets in basketball, I know that when they lost their team and they went to New Orleans and then the New Orleans Hornets and then they became the Bobcats when they came back in, but then now they got the Hornets name back. So at least from the NBA standpoint, at least you could identify with that team being as the Hornets as opposed to the Bobcats, where Minnesota, yeah, the Wild, is, uh, you know, and right, 20 years later, it still doesn't have that, still not used to it because, right, when I look at that old, those old jerseys, the green with the yellow, and of course the N with the star on the top, I mean, please, it doesn't get any more classic than that. Yeah, I, I won't argue with them. I don't, I refuse to argue with them because <laughs> they, I have a buddy that doesn't really even follow the team really like he will if they're in the playoffs and they're doing well and that sort of thing but like he's like ultimately he's like it should be the north stars and you just can't get into it and that's fine that's his opinion i think they left in 93 i want to say right i mean that sounds right Norm green moved them to dallas yeah that was that was tough too like you know and we knew eventually we would get another team Mm -hmm. you know it's it's just unfortunate that it happened that way yeah um they didn't want like the taxpayers didn't want to give them a new arena and they left so yeah that was a, that time in the 90s that three to five year period where you had uh, quebec go to phoenix and you had the hartford whalers go down to carolina of course that situation with uh, minnesota so you had a lot of movement with these teams and uh, it pretty much defined that part of the decade where these classic franchises that uh, certainly moved elsewhere and had success which is crazy because quebec they moved to, I'm sorry, I said Phoenix. Quebec, they, that was Winnipeg. Winnipeg was the other team that moved to Phoenix. Quebec moved to Colorado. Of course, Colorado yes, won a cup. They won, yep, they, right. won, they won a few cups then. Obviously, the Dallas Stars won a cup there in 99, the Brett Hull, uh, Mike Modano team. And then. And I'm still pissed about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, no, and I'm sure that, hey, that's also, that would be part of the tortured fan base because here you are, you had a team with the North Stars forever. Going back to, I believe, the old, uh, those are the days of the California Golden Seals. I'm trying to think of what, I don't know if that was a WHL. No, I think it was before that. There was a bunch of those teams there in the early 70s that then when transitioned into the NHL. I believe the North Stars were one of them. But then here they go. They move in 93 and six years later they win a cup. So it's like, hey, that's supposed to be our cup. Similar to the Ravens or to the Browns leaving for Baltimore in 95. And then here it is. They're winning a Super Bowl five years after they uh, leave Cleveland. And, uh, yeah, that just adds more to the agony, despite the fact that I know you didn't grow up you know, in the hockey household, but uh, just to think that this team goes on and wins the Stanley Cup, and it's like, hey, wait a second. That should be our cup. Yeah. And it went to Texas, of all states. Right, so and not, yes. Cooler if it were, like, maybe Canada, our neighbors to the north, I wouldn't have had a problem, I guess. I don't know. It's just, you know, generally from a sports standpoint, we don't like Dallas. We don't like Texas. Oh, yeah generally speaking that's you know not just making a broad statement i'm just you know no nobody likes the cowboys generally speaking no, of course here. um that's just how it is oh yeah and then uh, yeah, it's it's a bummer <laughs> still like you will see if you if you watch a wild game well not you won't you won't right now but like right watch a wild game you will see a ton of people wearing north stars gear they refuse to give it up and you know hats off to them i Maybe they'll change it someday, but I, I doubt it. And you know, and that's interesting because here it is 
in a day and time where a lot of these teams, you know, they'll have their classic throwback. I know the NBA does that. I'm sure in the NHL to a certain degree where they go back to, I know they have these alternate jerseys, but you would think that they would wear the old North Star jersey more often or have a North Stars month or whatever because, of course, the city, that's every that region is just, they think of the North Stars. And you would think that they would gravitate to having more of those type of theme nights and right with the wild. I, I listen. I haven't followed hockey as much as I used to, especially in the '80s and '90s. But I would identify with that team a little bit more if they had, sure. if they, even if they didn't have the name, but just seeing the North Star jersey. Uh, and I understand they're not going to wear that 82 times a year, but at the same time, just to Throw think, us a bone. exactly. Uh, geez, I know the even uh, what was it last year? The Carolina Hurricanes they wore for one night the Hartford Whaler jersey. So all right, listen. So they paid them a little homage, and rightfully so. Why not? I mean, it's only going to. I understand that people in Carolina aren't going to look at that and say, hey, we have no connection to Hartford, Connecticut. But you would think that uh, up in Minnesota that they would have whatever it is, a week, a, mo- a month, a night, that where they would uh, wear the old uh, green and gold. Sure. I tell you. Yeah, I, I, I've questioned it before. You know, I almost wonder if it has something to do with Green Bay Packer colors. Because mm. they are generally <laughs> the same colors as Green Bay Packers. Yes. Our tribal right. In the NFC. And I don't really want to look at it that way because – I don't like Green Bay. Oh, yeah, you but, can't. Yeah, You know, it's in my blood, and that's okay. You know, <laughs> they, they don't have to like us either. There's a lot of bad blood there, and we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Um, they, they, they really need to throw us a bone on, on the North Stars thing for sure. Yeah, I, I wish they could go back. Gary Bettman could somehow, some way, realign that to the point where they could bring back the North Stars and then just change Dallas to whatever it is. I mean, they'll come up with a name, and you know what? They'll live with it, but uh, please, it, it is the North Stars for crying out loud but so headstyle yes my thing is is that when i look at the wild and them being around for 20 years and i believe the deepest they got was to a conference final and not to compare them and the t wolves but i know the t wolves had the early stretch there in the mid 90s with kg and stefan marbury and then they had the 2014 that went to a western conference final where kevin garnett was the mvp of the league that year and other than that You haven't had the, I guess, the run or even just a little bit of a window where, although the T-Wolves were good, but they certainly weren't good to contend for a title other than the one year. And, of course, that one year was against the Shaq, Kobe, and I believe at that time it was 2004, Gary Payton and an aging Carl Malone leading the attack there in the Western Conference for the Lakers. So... Um, I'm glad. I'm glad this isn't a video conference right now because you see my face as you're describing all this pain. The Timberwolves are probably one of the worst run sports franchises in the history of of modern sports, mm. in my opinion. Yeah, and you're talking about it like, and you glazed over the 2000 Joe Smith deal. All right, that was drafted. I want to say. In 1995, first overall by the Golden State Warriors, he just never really transitioned to the NBA game. He was an okay player. I think he averaged 10 points and maybe five to six boards for his career. But we we signed him to an illegal deal. Yeah. Like there was a a, a wink and a a nod, and, and, you know, we ended up getting fined $3.5 million and forfeited five first round picks for the next five years. I yep. think they got the 2003 pick back. 
Well, it doesn't even matter. That killed any momentum that this team had mm-hmm. with with Kevin Garnett, you know, and um, yeah. And I believe that's I mean, when. Oh, and I believe sorry. that's. <laughs> I could hear the pain. And I believe that's when they instituted the rule, the Glenn Taylor rule, because now in the NBA, you cannot trade consecutive picks. What generally you'll see is that if there is a blockbuster deal of that ilk, they'll usually do the year, every other year. So let's say if I trade you, if if I'm the whatever team, I'll just say if I'm the Browns and I, I'm going to trade you my first round pick for this year, then I have to trade it for 2022, 2024, and then pick swap for 2021 and 2023. So I'll still get to keep my pick in those two years, but I'll have to swap it depending on you know where we fall in the standings. And because of him, that the rule was instituted where, yeah, you can't trade consecutive number one picks, and look at that. That's not one rule that you certainly want to be uh, fond of or be remembered by uh, when you had a deal like that where the T-Wolves obviously certainly uh, weren't able to build off of that and, of course, try to get to that NBA mountaintop of winning a title. Yeah, and I think what's really unfortunate about all of that, and I I don't think I'm – may rest in peace, David Stern. I wasn't mad at him, really, for coming down that hard. It was a draconian penalty. And I think the people that paid the most price were the fans because – the fan following with that team at that time was huge. Yeah. Like they were like when Marbury was there, they they were a hot ticket in town, man. They were gonna do things. And then Marbury gets a big ego and sees a KG signed for seven years, $127 million, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make just as much money or whatever. And he was always gonna be the number two player, and that doesn't matter, like who cares? And he looks back. I think I think he's quoted as saying it's his biggest regret in his career mm. is not staying here and insisting they trade him. And then we got, like, stop-and-pop specialist Terrell Brandon, which was never going to, you know, I mean, it just never really amounted to anything. Right. Killed all momentum. And we eventually ended up trading, trading Kevin Garnett uh, to Boston. That was painful, but at the same time, we were all happy for him. Because like, we love KG. Oh, yeah. Even when he comes back, like, this town, I guess, since Kirby Puckett passed away, the next most loved sports character in this town is Kevin Garnett. Mm-hmm. not even close. Oh, no, I could definitely see that. And I remember that. I believe that trade was made July 31st, 2007. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked because uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. I believe you are, but I'm a, a huge Celtic fan. And that was just a brutal stretch there from... 2002 when they made it to the conference final and then up to that point because the Celtics they had the chance to get either Greg Oden or Kevin Durant and they didn't get either they had the fifth pick which they traded for Ray Allen and then the the complete to complete the big three they traded for Kevin Garnett and I believe the trade was Ryan Gomes Al Jefferson Sebastian Telfair uh two I believe it was two number one picks and so it was seven players in total and I thought to myself, I said, hey, listen, we're giving up the future, but this is for right now, and let's see if this works. And obviously in the first year, they went on to win a title. So although they didn't get to win another title after that, they did make it to another NBA final two years against the Lakers in 2010. But that's a trade that uh, certainly goes down as not only a big one for the Celtics, but even for you guys, because that was pretty much once the KG era ended, between that and then even for recent 
where it's Carl uh, Anthony Towns and then Andrew Wiggins, and we know Wiggins is now in the Golden State, but you had that long stretch in between where, boy, it was a drought when it came to winning there as far as the T-Wolves are concerned. I mean, you couldn't put the word winning anywhere near the Wimbledon T-Wolves. <laughs> like, they, they weren't winning anything right. ever. And uh, it's a shame um, because at one time earlier, they had a heck of a fan base, and now they're just burned. And uh, they, I mean, the the Jimmy Butler, Tom Thibodeau era, mm. you know, that was at the time we were excited because it was something different. We never make a big trade like that, but ultimately, like, it wasn't going to work out with with the players that we had in place. And um, but it's just, yeah, it's just brutal history with that team. It's it's like now everybody is kind of taking the wait and see, wake me up when. We're 30 games into the season and they're 10 games, you know, maybe they're 20 and 10 or something like that. You right. Know, it's just, I'm not going to bother wasting my time with you. At least other teams sniffed the playoffs where, like, for the previous 14 years before Jimmy Butler, we hadn't made the postseason. Right. If you don't make the postseason in the NBA, which is, I don't know, a lot of teams make the, the playoffs in the NBA. Right? Oh, yeah. But we didn't. Um, so when when you guys got and I'll say you guys because you are a Celtics fan, <laughs> when you got KG in that trade, we were pulling for you. And I want to say I watched eighty percent of your games that year. Oh, is that right? Wow. I yeah. Um, I was I was all for it. And when KG and you guys won, and he said this is for everybody back in Soda, that hit us like that made me tear up maybe just a little bit because like KG was Soda like. Uh-huh. Because this is for everybody back there, and yep. there's so many should have been, should have, could have, would have, you know, all the way back to like when we had Spreewell and Cassell. That was that was that was a great year. That was a lot of fun, and you know, the death of Malik Sealy. Yes, was, I, mean, I, I think they would have been a really good team had Malik Sealy not died. Mm-hmm. But then again, something tragic happened, and may he rest in peace. He was a class dude. He's on his way home from KG's birthday Yep. in the middle of the night, and he got hit by a drunk driver going the wrong direction on Highway 100. No, I heard very well. It was, it was sad. Not, Man. And he was a local kid. He played here at St. John's. Yeah, he grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. He's one of you. I think I want to say he was born in <laughs> yeah. 70. Yeah. So, yeah, love Malik Seeley. Um, yeah, it's just incident after, you know, it's just, oh. It's it's tough being a Wolves fan, man. That's why I kind of like I'll casually watch if they're fun to watch. I'll, I'll watch them. But oh, and that's the one thing too, because when you talk about just the this whole theme with the tortured fan base, and again, we understand that the it's not as if the T Wolves had gone to let's say a couple of NBA finals and lost some tough series or. Uh, really, like the one shining moment was that Western Conference Final against the Lakers team. And right, you did have very good teams. You did make it to the postseasons. You had, did have a, you know quite a few one and dones. But at the same time, whether it was the tragic death of Malik Seeley, whether it was the Tom Thibodeau in recent vintage, Jimmy Butler, Cat, uh, and uh, Andrew Wiggins not working out. I mean, it just there seems to be this whole domino effect of just so much bad. And we get that. Hey, you're not going to win every year, and not every Day's going to be uh, roses and sunshine, but at the same time, with the T Wolves, it seems for the thirty plus years they've been in the league, uh, just seems to be yeah, just a lot of uh, dark days. And uh, who knows if it's going to get any better? I'm even, and we're breezing over like the man, the myth, the legend, Flip Saunders. Yes, that's another one. Very good. 
Yeah. If, if Flip doesn't die, I want to see, and everybody else, like, and you play this in your head, like, a man died is horrible. Mm-hmm. Cancer took him too early, but, like, that team was going to be fun. That was going to be Flip's team, and everybody here loves Flip. I think he's actually from Cleveland, but we've adopted him as one of our own. Like, that's why Ryan Saunders will get a legitimate shot this next season, whenever it is. Yeah. Because everybody loves, loved Flip Saunders, yeah. and he uh, he was the man. Like we loved him. So yeah, there's just it's a tragic thing, and now it's more or less. I'll watch when you know I got nothing else to do, and maybe they're good. Yeah. And then just to uh, turn our attention to the Twins, because unfortunately, a lot of your postseason heartache happens to fall at the feet of the New York Yankees. And when you go back to either, what was it, 2003, uh, 2009, 2010, obviously this past year, uh, I'm sure the last team, if you make it to the postseason this year and if they're, whenever the baseball season begins, but I'm sure the last team you want to see is that damn, those damn pinstripes from, uh, from the Bronx coming into your neighborhood to try to uh, upset the apple cart and uh, foil the Minnesota Twins long postseason playoff hopes it's such a fan sort of a what's the word i'm looking for it's it's in the fans heads more than it is the players because obviously the players that are on the team right now never had an issue with the yankees obviously like they don't know really the history they didn't keep losing to them like we did Mm -hmm. with the previous team that actually made the playoffs but yeah the yankees always seem to have our number and i guess it doesn't bother me so much it's the yankees because they spend money yeah and they want to win like we have the you know we have the pole ads right yep so the pole ads bought the twins in 84 and that team was pretty much already there so they eventually went on to win in 87 they were the worst team in 1990 and then they came back and they had jack morris and he wanted to go out before he retired to play for his hometown team the twins and so we put together a run that year, and, and we we run in one in '91. It's the first time I, I think a baseball team has ever went from worst to first. Yes, mm-hmm. won the whole thing. Um, but since then, like the Polads are pocket, you know, uh, penny pitchers. We built them a nice stadium. If you've never been to Target Field, come watch a game there. It's it's an absolutely wonderful place to catch a game. But the team since their first season before this last season. They didn't make the playoffs, and they didn't ever pay to keep big-time players. They never went out and got that big-time free agent pitcher, you know, when the team could use a stud or two. Um, they're just generally cheap. So, yeah, this last year was a lot of fun to watch, and then, you know, I think we were kind of hoping they would make a big trade and, and bring, a, bring in a stud pitcher to go up against the Yankees because I think we had an instant classic them earlier in the year where we had like a was it 15 16 innings the game went like five and a half six hours where we kept just hitting dingers right that 14 12 game where I believe I forgot who hit the ball but uh, what's his name Aaron Hicks had that diving catch in the uh in the gap where if it would have went to the wall it would have tied the game and yeah exactly former twin yep Yep. and uh, yeah that was one of the games of the year now that I think about it and uh, and I know it just that's another thing too because when you all right we talked about eighty seven ninety one and we all know that when you play in a market 
that uh, you know generally a small market, and you're not going to attract the big free agents. Of course, it's not New York, L.A., Boston, etc. Yep, it's cold here. Yeah, right. It's, it's flyover country. You know? yeah. it's, not, it's not New York. You right. know, it ain't Seattle. No. So. And the yeah. th- and the thing is, is that when you have a team like you did, especially last year, where you set the record for home runs in regular season, you won over 100 games. All right, of course, the pitching may not be uh, up to a small rotation or, you know, a small series where you have a rotation where you could throw out two guys where you know they're bonafide, that could be bonafide victories, and all you hope is to mash the ball. And when you go up against a team that could also mash just as much as you guys and at the same time could pitch maybe just a little bit better, it certainly was not a recipe for you guys after just such a a dominating year at the plate. And uh, not only to get a chance to win a game, but uh, I'm sure that just had to make for a long off season for you guys. It's brutal. Uh, we started a guy that was driving for Uber. Oh the yeah. Game in Yankee Stadium, Randy Dobnek, and that's not a knock on him. Like, no. He's, he's a good young pitcher. He has a chance, but that was really that. So Michael Pineda, who we had signed on a nice deal, got in trouble with some sort of performance enhancing drugs. Mm-hmm drug and he got suspended for the rest of the year when he was hot like he was one of our great pitchers this season until he was suspended and lo and behold we know why um but it's just unfortunate like that guy had no chance and then every time we had a chance to put runners you know the home we just i i still think they changed so yeah most homers in a season with an asterisk because we all know the balls were juiced oh or, or something like Man, I've never seen that many dingers hit before, ever. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy to think that the Twins actually had, I think, what, is it one more homer than the Yankees did that year? Yeah, 306 to 305, yep. Yeah, so, like, no way that's happening. Um, <laughs> again, you're not going to see it again this year. There's no way they're going to change that ball again. And uh, I, I think they changed that ball going into the playoffs. It's just a theory. I don't have any proof or anything like that. I've... I'm just a bitter, tortured fan, but uh, yeah, we just we couldn't we couldn't uh, get runners uh, home, and uh, it hurt us. And uh, it's gonna it's it's been a long off season. It's it's gonna be a lot longer now too. Yeah, and I will say this: I think you guys will have a good shot to win that division. I mean, I know the White Sox have certainly made a lot of moves, and they have a lot of good young players, but they're still a couple years away. Cleveland with trading their pitching as far as you know Corey Kluber is concerned and even though you know the situation with Lindor although he has two more years left before free agency but you know that's a big cloud that's hanging over them uh, to me I think this is your division to win now whenever baseball gets started uh, obviously we'll wait and see but even with the moves that you made you know Josh Donaldson you did uh, I don't know if you want to say short up the rotation but you did get some veteran arms Homer Bailey Rich Hill and also, Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers and the three-way deal. Did with... that trade finally go through? Yeah. I'm not even sure it's been signed now. Is that is that right? No, that went through. Sorry. No, it went through. So that at, was at... crazy. Oh, that was yeah, that crazy. was. Yeah. And Gratterall, so did he end up going to L.A. instead of Boston? Yes. Okay. That dude's going to be a stud. We just know it now. That's what happens right. when we trade dudes that have smoke or, like, exciting, like, you know, before everybody knew him as Big Poppy, he was he was Junior Ortiz, and he played for the Twins. That's right. We they gave him uh, plenty of opportunities, and you know that Twins team always hit for singles because we were playing in the dome. They yeah. never asked their players to swing for the fences. 
And that was too bad because we ended up getting rid of him for a song or whatever. Yeah. We ended up getting him. What, you know what happens? He goes on to help the Red Sox break their curse. Yep. That's just another thing where it's like, oh, we didn't need that guy, you know? No, no of course. I mean, he played for us, and, and, and he's gone, and now he's a Hall of Famer. Um, it's just sad. I mean, we're happy for him, but... Well, right. You would have rather have done it in a uh, twin uniform, that's for sure. Right. Right. <laughs> sure. So now uh, let's uh, cut right to it. Oh, well, you know, before I even get to that, um, now... You should back up really quick. Tell me. Really quick, I, sh- I should say, the Timberwolves being one of the worst-run organizations in the history of professional sports franchises, another example would be the hiring of David Kahn. Oh, geez. As the general manager. Yep. And his first draft, there was a couple of really nice players in it. One by the name of Steph Curry. Yep. We had the fifth and the sixth pick. Mm-hmm. And we drafted We drafted Johnny Flynn. Yep, Syracuse. Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I have a buddy. I won't name him. And I hope he listens to this podcast. <laughs> who said that Johnny Flynn was going to be this town's next Kirby Puckett. Oh, jeez. I don't let him live that down to oh, this day. Yeah. <laughs> he can't. I'm sorry. Johnny Flynn, I, I, I went to that game, uh, the first game he ever played in, uh, and I, uh, yeah, I was not impressed. And then, yeah, we drafted Ricky Rubio. And uh, this town likes Ricky Rubio. We like Ricky Rubio. But they could have had Curry. And yeah. They, didn't. they passed over him. They should have drafted Curry. Anybody except David Kahn would have drafted David Curry, or uh, Steph Curry. Steph Curry, yeah. No, and Kahn, he certainly was just, uh, vilified. Just, yeah, if you give me more time, I can dig up more boneheaded moves by the <laughs> Timberwolves, but let's move on. They're not worth our time. No, of course. Uh, so then now we were going through a little uh, chronological history of the uh, Vikings. So now through the mid-'90s, we talked about the uh, one and dones there in the mid '90s, the Denny Green teams, of course, and then '98 was the magical season where 15 and one, I believe, you scored 554 points at that time, an NFL record for a team in a regular season. You have the one seed where you had to buy. You played the Arizona Cardinals in the divisional round and pounded on yep, them. I forgot what. Yep. Uh, oh, did you? Yes. And then, yeah. of course, was the NFC Championship game, which I would think. By far, I'm sure you could compile every loss in Minnesota sports history, but it's certainly this has to be, unfortunately, at the very, very top to not only go down the way you did against a team that was 14 and two. You know, it wasn't as if the team was you know 10 and six or a nine and seven wild card team. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. but and there's one thing that gets forgotten. I know everybody's going to look at the Gary Anderson missed field goal at 27 20. No. <laughs> I'm a real fan now. I'm, I I know we had a seven point lead, but you go ahead, continue. I'll, I'll we'll go back. To well, that. the one big play that kind of gets forgotten in this game was right before the half, where the Vikings had the ball it was twenty to seven. I forgot how much time was left. I may have been a little bit over two minutes, or maybe under two minutes, and they were throwing the ball. And Cunningham gets sacked. He gets stripped. The Falcons recover the ball, and then they punch it into the end zone right before the half to make it 20-14. That was one play that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Not to say it was a game-changer momentum, but at the same time, when you look at the when you look at the game, obviously everybody's going to look at the missed field goal and then what happened after that. But those small plays that are early on in the game or the way it kind of gets lost in, in the shuffle or forgotten, that was one that I remembered while I was watching it in real time. I said, ooh, I wonder if this is going to you know come back to bite him. And then sure enough, it was the field goal, that, of course, that's going to take – you know, all the shine away from any other play in that game. 
that's interesting that you bring that up because I don't even think of that. Oh, really? I think about going into halftime, and I don't want to speak ill about a man who's dead, Denny Green. He was one of the greatest regular season Vikings coaches of all time, mm-hmm. not named Bud Grant. He was right. a great coach. He always got us in the playoffs. Players loved playing for him. I didn't always like Denny. I had my differences with the guy. But the players seemed to like him, so we kind of went with it. Right. Um, it must have been right after that happened. There must have been, I want to say, 30 seconds on the clock. Now, this was one of the most explosive teams ever. You could throw the ball up. I mean, I, I still have my Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. Where NFL 2K, you could throw the ball deep to Moss, and he was going to catch it every time. <laughs> and um, so there was like 30-some seconds on the clock before halftime. And, or was it? No, it wasn't going overtime. Oh, I'm starting to forget. Maybe it was taking a knee. Oh yes, took a knee in that game. Was that was that the, at the end of the fourth? Yes. Yeah, I forgot how many timeouts they had left. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't recall. But yes, I remember they took a knee. They may have had a couple timeouts, and uh, yeah, I, it was very questionable as to why they didn't even try to at least run a play, maybe get the ball close to midfield, and then maybe take another shot and see if they could set up a field goal. Yeah, I guess that's why I don't think of that the halftime right before halftime being a problem because it was the first time as a Vikings fan that you were confident that this team was destined mm-hmm. to go on to the Super Bowl and play the Broncos. And like we, I wasn't worried. I haven't even thought about it since then. Mm. But all I can think about is the previous game and then the fourth quarter and then, you know, what happened then. Oh. And, and, and so I think the most – what people forget that I remember very well was we were kicking the crap out of Jake the Snake and the Arizona Cardinals the previous week. Mm-hmm. It wasn't close. No, uh, I could look up. I could look up the score if you want, but it's irrelevant. The game was over. Fourth quarter. John Randall was in the game late, mm. and he hurt his knee. That's right. I remember that. He shouldn't have been in the game because John Randall was like in his prime. And we had, you know, we didn't have the best defense. We had an okay defense. You know, a couple guys were hobbled. It was late in the year. But we figured if Johnny Randall was healthy, that was going to be enough pressure. And the points that we put up were, it was, we were going to get by with that. Mm -hmm. But John Randall was hurt going into that NFC championship game. And if it came down to a a close game, you know, we didn't have the pressure at the line that we would normally have because Johnny Randall was hurt. Well, Johnny Randall should have never played that fourth quarter that previous week. And I I blame Denny Green for that. I blame a lot of things for that. But at the same time, yeah, Gary Anderson never missed a field goal that entire year. And what's his name? Madden's... uh, partner Pat Summerall yeah. hexed it and said oh yeah he lines it I would never miss all year and then he missed it <laughs> yeah but we had a seven point lead there I don't I'm sorry but that's not Gary Anderson's fault that we lost that game yeah it would ice the game would be over if he kicked it in mm-hmm. but we had a seven point lead it wasn't like we were tied it wasn't like oh who's that poor guy that used to play for the Bills uh the kicker but Scott Norwood yeah yeah right. yeah it wasn't Norwood bad. It was just, you know, hey, the dude missed a field goal finally at the most important time. It's a bummer, but hey, we got seven points on them. Let's go. Suck it up, boys. We're at home. 
and yeah. they blew it. Yeah, the defense could have made a stop, and right, and it's they no, just that no, was it was brutal. Yeah, that was just, I tell you, and I have a friend of mine who I've known for many years, I think I may have shared this with you, who lives in the Bronx, a diehard Viking fan, and, uh, I mean, he was beyond sick. I mean, it's one of those that it just sticks to your rib, you know, sticks to your ribs forever because of just the year that you had. Like you said, it was a special year. It was the culmination. You just knew that there was they were going to be Super Bowl bound, and then all of a sudden it just... To talk about sweeping the rug right from under your feet, it uh, and listen, and you've had some tough playoff losses ever since then. I mean, look, two years later, you made oh. it to a an NFC Championship game where you played right here, pretty much in my backyard at the Meadowlands. You got smoked forty-one nothing. Yeah, Kerry Collins throws five touchdowns. I mean, the game was oh. over before it started. Yeah, that was a killer. Uh, we could go through all those games. I tell you, you know, leading up to the now the Favre years. Now, here's the one thing. This is going to be interesting because you know, off the top of my head, in those mid two thousand teams. And this was now post Denny Green, I believe. What uh, Mike Tice was your coach? Yeah. And then obviously, Randy ratio. Yeah. And then leading up into uh, 09, I could only imagine. I know that uh, my friend Kevin, who again is he's the Viking fan that lives here in the Bronx, when far it was part of the rumor mill as far as going to Minnesota. Uh, he was talk about sick to his stomach. I mean, that's like the last person that you'd even think that you would be at the helm of your team, let alone be the quarterback. And then he comes in and has this killer year to the point where it's almost as if I can't believe I'm rooting for this man because I've rooted against him, it seemed like, my whole life. Uh, I'm sure you probably felt the same way, but in some talks with no. you, no, I know you were no, like, hey, bring no, it on. I, I'm the opposite. So I had actually I actually started a blog that year. It wasn't successful, but it was vikingsforfar.com or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And So, yeah, if I, uh, Brett Favre kicked the crap out of the Vikings for years up until – Oh nine, and we, me and my buddy Nate, we always talked about. Wouldn't it be great if we could get Brett? You know, because we hated losing to Brett Favre and the Packers, but we respected him because he was—he's everything you wanted in a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy that would sometimes not listen to his coach and say, "Here's what we're going to do." Um, so oh nine was the most fun I've ever had watching an entire Viking season. Yes, the end sucked. But it was the best, I still think. So I was born in 77. I didn't get to see Tarkenton play. So for my money, if you're asking me as a diehard Vikings fan, I have a tattoo. I used to have a Vikings car. The best quarterback to ever play for the Minnesota Vikings is Brett Favre. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I still have a poster in my garage of him suited up for the Vikings. It was the greatest season we've ever had it was supposed to be cinderella it was supposed to be storybook you can't make it up he comes and plays for us it was going to be the greatest ever adrian peterson was in his prime mm-hmm. it was going to be great and uh too many men on the field and then it was over yeah so i mean they can people talk about the interception right no no that wasn't why we lost that game we lost that game because we out of a timeout brad childress Time out. You had twelve men in the huddle. Yeah. And then Brett had to try to make a play. Dread, you know, and he, he threw a, an interception across his body. I remember it, but that wasn't, you know, we put ourselves in that position. The coach put us in that position. Adrian Peterson fumbled the ball before halftime. Uh, right, and that was deep. Oh. Yes, deep in same territory too. Yeah, and that would have just killed the fans. They would have oh, been yeah. done. Yeah. Like, 
forget about it. That would have, the game would have been over. But Adrian Peterson, as much as we love him uh, as a player, I'll, I'll say, mm-hmm. uh, he always seemed to fumble in big spots. He did it in the wide left year when we were playing outside that you were talking about. We fumbled. Right, we're going to get to that. that game. Mm-hmm. He came all the way back despite his fumble and still missed the field goal. Um, we just never seemed to come put it together, but 09 was the most fun I've ever had watching and following the Vikings because Brett Favre played for us. Wow, over 98 too, and that says a lot because that team yeah. was 15-1. and one. Yeah, but we weren't so... So here's how I see it. 98, we were destroying teams. Yes. It wasn't even fun really to watch after a few weeks. Like, we were just ruining. Like, there was... Nobody had a chance. So, yeah, we were running up to score on people, and it was fun. But, like, ultimately, classic games that we just love where it's competitive and back and forth, those are the games that I gravitate to. I want to see Favre throwing back of the end zone against the 49ers with zero seconds on the – or whatever it was. It was insane. Mm -hmm. To some wide receiver who's I don't even remember his name. He wasn't a regular wideout. He's like a fourth option. Oh, I remember that play. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was Favre. That was that yes, was vintage Favre in in purple, and it was crazy. Like mm-hmm. we always had that happen to us in Green Bay against Favre, and now it was happening for us. It was so it was so surreal. It was so weird, but it was so great, you know. And Brett wanted to be here. Like I still mad at the at the Packers for trading him to the Jets. I wanted him the previous year, too, but it worked out. Um, Well, it didn't really work out, but it was supposed to be a storybook ending. He would have won the Super Bowl, walked off and retired, and been... We could have all died happy in Minnesota, (laughs) because that's what anybody wants here. And I'll say this about any of our teams right now, because it's been since 91 since we've seen the championship, besides the lovely Lynx, who are awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't want to take away from them but i'm talking of the four that we grew up with right the next team that wins a a championship here owns the city owns the town like you know that's why it would have been nice to win it the year that the eagles won it because we would have been at home playing in the super bowl that would have been pretty sweet but no we blew that deal you know how that ended. So. Yeah. No, after you marched down the field, Case Keenum opening drive 7 nothing. you're thinking, oh, geez. Not that it was going to be a cakewalk, yeah. but you figured that, hey. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of gas in the tank. You're thinking, all right, this is will probably be fourth quarter, the game tied, and whoever has the ball last will hopefully punch that ticket to the Super Bowl. But then uh, that was the only highlight of that uh, that game, just that opening drive. And after that, it was just uh, lights out pretty much. Yeah, run play option all day long on us. And uh, we were spent. We were so emotionally spent after the Minneapolis miracle. Yes, the week before. Like, it was, I guess, just a bonus getting there, which is too bad. Like, if we would have won that game going away, it would have been different a week later. I don't know. Right. I don't know. But you always play that game in your head. Yeah. It, but And that's it. We always play that game in our head because we always get let down. <laughs> it, law of averages says at some point we're going to win, right? I right. don't know. But you know what's going to happen before? Well, you know what? I'm going to save that that last question because uh, you just brought up something that uh, which with tortured fan bases, they usually have to go through this cataclysmic. It, it has to sometimes when the stars are aligned and everything is perfect, a la the 98 team, it doesn't work out. But it's always the flip side. But I'm going to save that for last because just the thing now in this decade, 
You had, of course, we talked about the NFC Championship game uh, two years ago, but of course the Minneapolis Miracle, which was just insane. I mean, nobody could ever, you can even send that to Hollywood and they wouldn't even uh, accept that. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this past year, the the great win in New Orleans, and uh, then, you know, San Francisco, but of course San Francisco was pretty much the top team in the NFC all year. But to go back to that wild card game, just to think, being outside in the elements, University of Minnesota Stadium, to have the cold the way it was, and it was a low-scoring game, and Blair Walsh, I know he was sick to his stomach after that, and I'm sure you were watching that. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. When he was lining up, and that was a chip shot, when he lined up for that, did you think he was going to miss, or did you think he was going to go through the uprights? And you know what's fun? The reason why you say that is because this is what the podcast is all about. When you're a tortured fan base or when your team has not won in a zillion years, like just like my Mets, as much as I criticize them and as much as I uh, am cynical about them, but you just know that that pit in your stomach, it could be bases loaded, nobody out. They're down and running the ninth inning to get to go to the postseason. And you say, oh, they'll ground into a double play and strike out. And that's it. You just have that feeling that you know they're never going to come through. And look, you just answered right then and there. And I had a feeling that that was going to be the case. Yep. I mean, that's that's being a Vikings fan. Man. <laughs> you get up to get let down. And it happens every year. And we hope it, it'll eventually end differently. But... I, mean, I guess that's the definition of insanity is yep. doing the same thing over and over again and then expecting a different result. We are insane fans here, but we love our purple. We, we I mean, we love all our teams. Um, you know, we made a few cup runs with the wild as well, but we, we ran into Taner and Taze, you know, I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? Uh, we were really good those years or, you know, the other years near those, we, we ran into two goalies that stood on their head, mm-hmm. you know, and I was, I wrote this season off for the while. And, um, then they started playing really well. Then they fired their coach, which was really weird because they were seven, three and one. Yep. I want to say in their last 11 games, they bring bring in Eveson, uh, to be the interim. And they start they, like this guy named Kevin Fiala, who we traded Mikhail Granlin for mm-hmm. last year. He starts getting heating up and, He's all of a sudden the star of the month, and he's just a stud. And we're 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 on our way, man. We're gonna make the playoffs. <laughs> and there's no hockey. Yeah, that's so it. It's, it's just it continues. Yep, it continues. Out of all the the tough losses, and obviously we chronicled through all the teams. Uh, which one ranks at the top? Which one is the one that uh, keeps you up at night? That uh, you just it's the one that you just can't get over. Oh nine. Oh, oh look nine. at that. Interesting. Uh, for sure, Vikings. Uh, NFC Championship game, uh, New Orleans Saints, um, no question about it. That is the game that I looked in the mirror a day after the game, and I said I'm, I refuse to let sports, especially the Vikings, but sports in general, change my mood or my outlook on life. Right. I, I started from from 09 going forward. I said I'm going to enjoy it. And if they blow it, they blow it. Life moves on, man. I can't be, I can't, I can't do it. Like, it'll kill me. I can't do it anymore. No. I'm still a huge fan. Some people might call that fair weather. I call it, I call it real. You can't just keep doing it to yourself. It's, it's, it's not fun. I don't even know how Cubs fans did it for so long. Oh, geez. Or Red Sox fans. Like, no way, man. Like, I was I was happy for them when they won. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you not be? Oh yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that's 09. 09 killed me. And, and there, the new head style, I guess, was born right <laughs> after that loss. That's it. I didn't, I didn't even watch that Super Bowl. Mm. I was, I was bitter. Really mad. <laughs> yep, Saints Colts, yeah. And uh, lastly, and I will end it on this note because generally, when you have, as I said before, where all the ducks are in a row, where the stars are aligned, and you kind of think, oh, this is our year, it's special, it's this, and we all know what happens. It's like the plug gets pulled, and that's it. But when you look at some of these teams that win championships that uh, come out of nowhere, and the first team that comes to mind right now is last year when you look at the Washington Nationals. They never won a postseason series. They had Bryce Harper on their team. They made they won plenty of divisions from 2012 to even before last year because remember they were a wild card team. They were down three one in the eighth inning of that game against Milwaukee Brewers in the wild card game, and the right fielder makes yep. an error where all three runners score. And of course, you're not thinking at that moment that oh they're going to go on this run because it's like all right they won one game they're going to go up against the Dodgers. The Dodgers were the best team in the National League. And then in the game five, where Kershaw spits the bit once again, you kind of think, oh, geez. Then they go on and sweep St. Louis. They lose the first two games. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They win the first two games down in Houston. You're thinking, oh, geez, they're going to come home and they probably could end up sweeping or at least winning in five, only to lose the next three games at home and then to go back to Houston to win. Yes, and sometimes sports works like that. It works where you think that you know you're not going to win and then for for some reason, the in this case, the baseball gods, they just say, uh-uh, this is their time. And we could only hope, and I would think, that the Minnesota Vikings, and who knows, head style, this year we're going to have the expanded playoffs where it's seven, uh, you're going to have seven teams where you'll have, I'm sure, probably three wildcard games on Saturday and Sunday to, to kick off the postseason. But not to say that the Vikings are going to be a 9-7 type team, but let's say all right, there's someone in the middle of the pack, you know, like a 4-5 seed. And here they are. They may go on this run, and all it takes is one play or one play by the other team, whether it was a pick, a fumble, a missed field goal, and then all that does is just steamroll. And you would think, even after the Saint game here, the big play there down the field to Thielen, which set up the game-winning uh, touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, that could have been something where Kirk Cousins finally got the monkey off his back, but we know what happened the week after, but who knows? That's the one thing about sports. you got to have those moments, and when you have those moments – Sometimes that magic carpet ride could lead to a championship, and I could only hope that in the very near future, for you and for my friend Kevin here in the Bronx, that that moment will happen for you guys where these chain of events and various games in the postseason will take you to that championship. That's why we watch. That's right. That's why we listen. And it's, <laughs> it's, been, a, it's been a real pleasure being on your show. I, I really appreciate all the time, and uh, I can't wait to see what else you got cooking here on, on the upcoming pods. But uh, it's always great to talk with you, sir. Oh, Headstyle, it's a pleasure. And, of course, I'll put your, if you don't mind, your Twitter handle in my show notes so people will wonder, what the hell is a Headstyle? Obviously, he does have a name, people. And if you go to his Twitter feed, uh, with your blessing, of course, you'll get to see uh, what he... Oh, absolutely. So, of course. And you I'm sure. find the Viking mobile in there somewhere. Hey. I, I may have posted it at one point. <laughs> no, that's great. And I'm sure we'll have you back sometime down the road if uh, the Twins, once baseball starts, and if they happen to uh, have a similar season or similar regular season as they do last year, uh, hopefully we'll have you on before the postseason to uh, handicap it. Good luck to your Mets. Good luck to your Steelers. And uh, we'll be talking real soon. Thanks for your time. No, thank you, Hesla. I appreciate it.
All right, thanks to my guy Headstyle for joining me on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope to get a couple other people that are in uh, tortured fan bases. Now, I can't say Cleveland because we all know the Cavaliers won a few years back, and I do actually know somebody in Cleveland. But as far as the Browns are concerned, and even the Indians who haven't won a World Series since 1948, it would be good to get a perspective as far as those two teams are concerned. But I always think it's a little bit interesting to hear what the fan bases of certain areas, certain regions, certain states, cities, etc. have to say who have followed their teams from pretty much the beginning of time. And uh, Headstyle certainly put a nice ribbon on top of everything that's happened there over the last 30 years. Now, if you want to follow him, you can go to his Twitter account. His Twitter is at Headstyle. And you could certainly follow him. He even has a picture of the Vikings mobile, as he calls it. And he, he mentioned it in the podcast. Uh, pretty interesting. I actually thought it looked pretty cool. I wonder if he still has that. Uh, it looks like it was an old picture. But uh, you'll certainly get his takes on everything that's happening, not only in sports, but also life too. If you're a Twitter head, so please follow him at Headstyle on Twitter. And if you enjoyed this podcast, people, I implore you, please go not only hit subscribe, but also leave a rating, post a review on wherever you get your podcast, whether it is on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, etc. Because your contribution in doing all that is only going to increase the visibility of this podcast. And as we all know, there are a million podcasts that are out there. And all I'm trying to do is just generate interest for those who aren't familiar with this podcast to be a part of the program as far as guests are concerned. So whether it comes to the former athlete, the current athlete, the sports writer, blogger, broadcaster, you name it, I want to have them on here, especially during this time where there are no games to be watched and certainly no sports that are being played. So... Right now, it's uh, I'm, it's going to slim pickings, and who knows what I'm going to come up with next week considering that I'm posting this here on a Wednesday, March the 25th in the year of our Lord 2020. But again, if you could do that, it just takes seconds, people, on your phone, your tablet. All you got to do, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and just leave me whatever, four stars, five stars. Also, just a brief rating. Uh, Jay Reels is goofy. He's funny. Hey, he's informative. He's knowledgeable. He knows his stuff, whatever. Uh, I would certainly greatly appreciate that. And if you want to reach out to me, you could do so at any of these social media accounts, whether it's J Reels, my personal account, or the J Reels podcast, the sports account on Instagram. My Twitter feed is J Reels One, just a number. The Facebook fan page is the J Reels podcast. And if you want to send me an email, the old school way, you could do so at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Please forward over any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be in reference to the pod. I'm looking to make some changes in the coming weeks, especially with the music. I know the intro, I've had that music for so long and it's tiresome. I'm going to certainly pep it up and increase the level of exuberance and really amp it up so we could all get pumped up to listen to a podcast. So that will be coming in the near future. And if you've been following the program, people, you know the deal. I'm a one-man operation, independently run, host, produce, write, etc., edit as well. And without any interns, without any help, you know I'm doing this for the love because I want to inform and, of course, entertain you guys on everything that's happening in the world of sports, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. So continue to support independent podcasting, especially when it comes to the world of sports. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.